Hey guys, my name is Ray Peoples. I'm the pastor at New City Church in Kansas City, Kansas. And welcome to our podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to trust in and live like Jesus. And if you heard something that you really enjoyed today, feel free to share it on social media. And we're excited that you're here. Now, enjoy the podcast. Good morning. morning. I don't think you can hear me through. Can you hear me through the audio? Yeah? Are we good? Okay, sweet. Awesome. I was seeing a red light, and so I figured stop, figure out what the issue is, and we'll go from there. Guys, if your first time here, I want to welcome you, especially thank you for joining us first time. Excited that you're here. Uh, I want to put out there real quick, I'm not the regular teaching pastor. Uh, in fact, I'm not even on staff. Uh, our family just gets to be a part of this community, serve here, and every now and then I, I get a... Check one, two. Here we go. All right. Well, like I was saying, I, I get an opportunity every now and then to come up here and just share with you guys. So I'm excited about it. Um, if you're at home uh, on, on, online or wherever you may be in the online world, I want to welcome you guys as well. We're excited that we have the technology to be able to do this. And so excited that you guys are joining us. And be uh, lively on that uh, message board. It's helpful. It's excited to, to get that going. So anyhow, today we're going to be talking about unconventional wisdom. And so let's, I think we, we have to lay a foundational work of, well, what is conventional wisdom? Conventional would be something that we all agree with, a sort of a set of belief or wisdom that we all agree, uh, that we all agree up on. And so one, one example would be, hey, raincoat, because it's raining outside. That'd be sort of conventional wisdom, right? Uh, unconventional wisdom on the flip side of that would be something you go, oh, it's a little out of the box. I don't know that we all technically uh, agree with that, but I'm willing to entertain the idea of. But that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about four unconventional wisdom truths um, that I think will be helpful for us. And uh, the reality is, the reason why they're helpful is because, I'll tell you a quick story. W- when I was in high school, um, there was a girl, and um, she was older than me, and I liked her. And she comes to me one day, and she goes, you know what, Danny, I, where I am in life, I don't have any regrets. I don't, believe in, I don't believe in having regrets in life. I believe that how I got here, the good and the bad, um, it was meant to happen, so I have no regrets. And I go, I liked her, so I go, yeah, I don't have any regrets either, baby. Um, and, uh, but then I got a little older, and I go, ah, that's silly. We all have regrets. We all uh, make mistakes, right? And, and needless to say, I didn't date this girl. Probably would have been a regret of mine, right? Uh, but, but that's true, right? We all, at some level, have regrets. We have r- relational regrets. We have career regrets. We have regrets with our children, with our spouse. Uh, we have moral regrets. I mean, gosh, I wish I would have done that. Um, and, and really, a regret is really nothing more than wishing that we could change something um, or do it again differently, typically, because at some level, 
it's caused some hurt. Uh, maybe our reputation, uh, maybe, again, a spouse or a child. We, we've caused some hurt. We go, gosh, I wish I could do that again. Well, uh, in our four unconventional wisdom truths, uh, I believe if we apply them, if we internalize them, uh, we were going we're gonna to live a life where we're going to make better choices and live with fewer regrets. So that's the goal here this morning. Now, uh, what we've been doing, just to catch us up a little bit, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, sort of a wisdom book uh, written by Solomon. Uh, he also wrote Proverbs and Song of Solomon. And he has spent the first six chapters sort of making an argument for what is life without God, without wisdom. He goes, it's vanity of vanity. It's not good. It's hopeless. And then chapter 7, where we pick it up, he sort of makes this shift. And he goes, makes an argument over the next six chapters. What does life look like with wisdom? An infusion of wisdom in our lives. An infusion of God in our lives, right? And so that's what we're going to be looking at um, just over our time together and over the next several weeks. So let me pray for us and just ask God to... Bring our, open up our hearts to what he has for us today, and we'll see what he has, okay? Heavenly Father, God, Lord, again, I'm thankful for the rain. I'm thankful for what you're giving us. I'm thankful for the way that you take care of your earth, Lord, the way you take care of us. And I just want to pray for this small community of people here in um, KCK, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that man, our hearts would be open, Lord, that you would do work in this room, this very hour, that I would somehow get out of the way and just that your spirit would speak um, and, and simply be a conduit for what you have for us this morning. In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, so what we're going to be doing, we've got a lot of verses. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to break them down. I'm going to read a little bit. And we're going to break them down together. And that's sort of how we're going to break apart sort of this big chunk, this passage of verses that we're going to get into. So let's start with uh, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. It says, A good name is better than a good ointment, uh, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. The word ointment is like right up there with moist, right? It's like, I hate that word. It just sounds weird, but... Anyway, the, uh, what, he, what he's trying to say here in this first verse, which is, I think is key, when we first look at that, you and I, we look at that, that passage and we go, okay, that doesn't make sense because... When we think of birth, we think of, man, exciting parties, laughter, celebrations. When we think of death, we think of funerals. It's, it's hard. It's hurtful. Um, it's sad. And so there's a big sort of contrast there. And you go, how is the day of one's death better than the day of one's birth? And so here's the point that he's trying to draw out. He's saying uh, how we end our life is far more important than how we begin our lives. And you and I would agree with that. We'd go, hey, the type of legacy somebody leaves behind, incredibly more important than what somebody starts with, right? The changes somebody makes in their life for the better, incredibly more important than how somebody begins their life. Also, what Solomon is saying, listen, we all get dealt a, a, a hand of cards when we're born. And go, hey, this is your family. Uh, you didn't choose it, right? You just sort of were born into it. And some of us single family home, other of us two parents in the home, uh, higher income, lower income, uh, one side of the tracks, the other side of the tracks, right? Uh, more pain and hurt in one. And so what he's saying is at some point in your life, you, you have to make the decision. You've got to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to choose the direction of my life. 
because I believe it's important how I end my life. And so regardless of the pain, regardless of the hurt, regardless of how I grew up, regardless of the regrets I may have, the mistakes I may have made, I'm going to choose to end my life differently, to end it on, on a positive trajectory, right? So that's what he's saying here in this first verse. So as we keep going down and we're going to look at a chunk of verses, um, verses two through six. So this is what Solomon says here. It is better to go to a house of mourning than, go to, than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Uh, it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns and bushes under a pot, of thorns bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. All right, so let's break down what he's saying. Let me tell you a quick story. When I was in high, uh, not high school, college, uh, there was a buddy of mine named Stephen Reynolds, and close friend. I went to a very conservative Bible college, and which was a different culture, sort of almost, almost a culture shock for me. And there was a buddy of mine, who he and I related, sort of same upbringing, same background. And so he and I connected super well. He was actually moving in to a house that I had with a couple guys, and he had just, he was just proposed to his longtime girlfriend. And at the time, I was working for a small, or a church down in Southern Oakland Park, and worked with the youth ministry. And so we had made this sort of Christian prom for our youth ministry, and it had dinner, prom, and then there was an after party. And I remember I was driving, I had some of the kids in my car, and we were driving to the after party. And I remember exactly where I was. I was making a left turn on that 127th Quivira, and I get a call from my buddy Jacob, and he goes, hey, Stephen just died. And it's sort of that moment where, Time sort of slows down, right? Everything is slow-mo. And I go, there's no way. There's just no way. And so I end up going to this little after party. I drop the kids off. I go, I can't be here. Uh, I go to my buddy Jacob's house, and we just start to sit in his room and talk and cry about Stephen and the potential that he had and what he had already accomplished at school. Very popular guy. A lot of people liked him. Um, strong leadership. And then inevitably, we begin to think, man, what... what we, we go introspective, right? And we go, gosh, what about our lives? Oh, man, life is short. Uh, he was 21, 22, right? You go, man, it could end like that. And you go, in that moment, you're sitting in front of the creator, and you go, what was I doing in that moment, right? And so you get, begin to think about the afterlife, or, or what does that look like? And so we realize what Solomon is saying here is, man, when you go to a funeral, when you go to the house of mourning, something begins to start changing. The, the, the mind begins to think differently, which then in effect, the heart begins to feel differently. And what I know is that when we start to think about eternity, it changes how we behave, right? Um, and I like what, uh, what Jesus says. He sort of reiterates this idea of thinking about life after here, the temporary. He says in Matthew six nineteen. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where their thieves do not break in and steal. And I'm not saying, hey, let's sort of forget about the responsibilities that we have here on earth. We have 
responsibilities to steward our family, steward our work. Um, but here's, here's what I know. Me, Danny Freyday, um, a husband, a father, um, I own a small company, and, and, and I think about in those realms, okay, in terms of me and Maddie, my wife, how, how far out do I go? I might go, you know, we're getting ready to celebrate five years, and I might go a few years out. Hey, what is marriage going to look like a few years from now? In terms of Franco, he's turning two, our son. I go, it'll be fun when he's five, ten, with sports we can do together. Probably my business is where I go maybe the farthest out, and I'll go, hey, where's the business going to be in five or ten years? But in terms of my life, I, I rarely do I go, what does it look like after my time here on earth, right? And that's what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, you've got to be start thinking towards eternity and what is going to happen when you get there and what sort of investment you can begin now here on earth for when eventually all of us, I, I think the last time I checked, the rate of death is one to one. I mean, we're all going to experience it, right? And so uh, my, my point that I want to make here is this. Our focus on forever changes our actions in the temporary, right? And that's what Solomon is saying. The, the mind of the wise, or the, um, what he said, the mind of the wise is in the house of the morning, right? Our mind, we allow our mind to go there, our mind to go, okay, what happens after this life? So that's the point that he's making in those verses. So let's, and that's the, the first point I want you guys to write down, sort of the first Un unconventional wisdom truth is our focus on forever changes our actions in the temporary. All right, let's look at verses 7 through 12 here. I'll read this real quick. I'll break it down. So just stay with me because sometimes you read some of this and you go, man, what is he saying? I don't know. Some of this doesn't make sense. Uh, but we'll break it down here in just a second. Solomon says, For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to get angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it the former days were better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom, along with an inheritance, is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Okay, so in this passage, Solomon is, is attacking the heart. And he's going, hey guys, uh, the heart is a profound thing. Um, and we have to be mindful of our hearts. And the first thing he's saying in verse 7, 8, he's dealing with greed. This idea that we, the, the desire for control and, and money and this motivation of, of greed. Um, and you, got, you might, if I'm, I say greed and you might go, oh yeah, maybe some you know, Wall Street banker or um, cartels, or I'm not, I'm not greedy. I go, hey, we all have the same depraved heart if you think about it, right? I have a son, Franco, who's two, and he's got this collection of Hot Wheels, all thanks to our worship pastor, Adam. He just hands them out like candy to him, right? And so he's got this collection of Hot Wheels, and the other day I'm sitting there and I'm looking at these Hot Wheels, and I, I turn it over. I don't know if you know this, but on Hot Wheels, at the bottom, it has the, the model or the make and the year of the vehicle. I go, wow, this is cool. So I start looking at these Hot Wheels. My son's kneeling right next to me, and he goes, mine. I go, let me look at the next, mine. And, and pretty soon, he's got so many cars here, and he's grabbing the next one, but one's falling out, right? And you go, at two years old, the heart of greediness, 
right? Okay, we got to shape that. We got to do something about that, right? And so I say that it's funny and it's young and it might be cute, but really it's, it exposes how depraved we are and how much in need of a savior we are in. And that's what Solomon is trying to pinpoint and go, don't, don't think you've arrived. Um, don't think you've got it. Uh, the heart still has a desire for greed. In verse 8, he talks about uh, pride and impatience. He says, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Um, patience of spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Uh, this is a big one for me. I, am, I, I have a personality that lends to, I drive hard, I drive fast, not just in general, not my car, but probably my car too, actually. Um, but just in general, like I, I want to get things done, right? And work, and our marriage, like, how can we have a better marriage? How can we, you know, sell more? And just trying to drive fast and, and move everything forward. Um, and although there's sort of some benefits to that, um, there's also some detriment to that in some areas of, of life. And so that, again, is another heart issue where I go, okay, anytime I start to feel impatience bubbling up, I got to check that. Um, anger in verse 9, this is where I want to camp out just a little bit. He says in verse 9, do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Uh, anger is a tricky thing. Anger, my understanding of it, is a culmination of emotions that have not been dealt with and typically sort of volcano out uh, and manifest themselves in, in anger, right? And so let me explain it this way. You have a spouse and maybe you get a verbal jab that you go, okay, that's nothing. I'm just going to let it go. But you go, ah, you kind of just put it on the back of you. You go, put it in the back of your mind, right? And then maybe the workload is heavy at work right now. Um, and, and so it requires a lot. And your kids are going through a phase, right? And you go, God, this is irritating. And what happens is when we don't communicate those things, either with our spouse or with God, and go, hey, babe, I'm just struggling. I'm struggling right now with work. And the other day you said something. I know, I know you didn't mean it, but I just, for some reason, it really bothered me. And you go, I, I don't have a spouse, Danny. Who do I talk to? Yeah, I, I do this with the Lord all the time. I go, Lord, my heart, for some reason, is anxious. I, I don't know what's going on. I feel an anxiety or I feel angry for some reason. I don't know what's going on. Would you check it? Why? Because it's, you've ever been around somebody and you sort of say something off the cuff as a joke maybe and they snap on you? And you go, whoa, what, what, what happened? Did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? No, it's, it's been something that's just been stacking and building right on top of each other, right? And, and typically then we get sort of, we see this explosion. And unfortunately, sometimes it's the spouse or it's the children. And so this is another thing where Solomon is saying, Hey, communicate. Be vulnerable with your spouse. Be vulnerable with your kids. Be vulnerable with God. And don't allow it to bubble up. It's okay to feel the sense of anger. It, 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 we wouldn't be human, right? But we have to be proactive, not reactive, in terms of how we deal with those emotions. Um, there's one more here. It, it's discontent. Uh, in verse 10, he talks about, do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. This idea of, of discontent, it's, you know, that somebody is probably always complaining. Uh, you know, guys, it's so cold out. I wish it was summer. Then it's summer, it's like, 
so hot out, I wish it was cold. We probably all do that at some level, if we're honest. But I mean, just everything, complain about everything. We just go, hey, would you stand over there? I'm going to stand over here. Um, or somebody who goes, I wish I had that car. Oh, I wish I had that house. Um, I wish I had that spouse. And not from a looks, but do you see the way that that spouse treats the other spouse? God, that's the kind of spouse I want, right? And, and I'll, I'll allow one of our great modern minds to deal with this real quick. And this is what uh, Andy Minio, rapper here, says. And this is good. This is what he says. The secret is to learn what it means to be content and to celebrate what God has given, not the things he didn't. Our heart is always longing for more, and it wants to bug out. That's why we got to drink from the water that never runs out. Right? Our heart is set to sort of wander consistently. And this idea of saying, God, I'm so thankful for what you've given me. I'm thankful for the spouse. God, I'm thankful for this small community of people here in KCK that we get to build into, that we get to grow with, right? This idea of, again, a heart issue, right, of gratitude. That's how we fight this discontentedness in, in our hearts. And then lastly, in verses 11 and 12, he talks about the advantage in the warning of wisdom and money. He says here, wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Money is a tricky thing, man. It's a very, very tricky thing. But you've got wisdom and you have money. It's good because you can push things forward. You can get a lot of done. But you have to be careful because our hearts are sort of prone to wonder. Our hearts are prone to be greedy in ways. Uh, and, and you see this all throughout the scriptures. I'll share real quick. In Proverbs 30, uh, verses 8 through 9, there's this prayer, and it, and it says, uh, Lord, give me neither riches nor poverty, uh, but just my daily bread, because if I have too much money, I'll disown you and forget about you. If I don't have enough money, I'll probably steal and, and still disown your name, dishonor your name. So just give me my daily bread. He's essentially asking God, can I just live paycheck to paycheck? I just want to live paycheck to paycheck just so that I can honor you. So think about that heart of saying, I just want to be committed to you, Lord. I don't, I don't want any temptation, right? And so that's the temptation sometimes of money that we have to be careful in terms of guarding our heart. And so uh, this, the second point um, would be, or sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, above all else, guard your heart. Sorry, third point. I was like, man, I think it was my third point, but it could be second. I wasn't sure. Uh, above all else, guard your heart. And this comes from Proverbs 4.23. This is what he says. This is Solomon says this. He goes, above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. Right? And I was thinking about this the other day. I go, guys, listen. We are at war every single day of our lives. Right? And he's saying, guard your heart. Because why? What is, um, was it Peter? Is it Paul who says, man, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Right? Like there is someone, there is a force, right? Uh, Ephesians talks about this, Paul, where he says the principalities, the, the forces of this world, there is a force that is actively, actively, aggressively seeking to destroy you, to kill you, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your relationship with your kids, to destroy everything that you have, to destroy your career, and to ultimately kill you, to kill your marriage, to kill your kids. 
Like that's the seriousness, the emergency level that we need to have around our heart to protect it, to guard it above all else. It's important. And that's what he's trying to drive home here. That's what we have to internalize. We keep going here. Verses 13 through 14. So it closes this little passage up. He says, consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the days of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Uh, this is, um, I, I have a one-liner that, I usually, that summarizes this little passage, and it's this. I'm trying to teach this to Franco, my son. Uh, life is not fair, and oftentimes we are on the negative end of that equation, right? And we all know that to, to be true. Hey, life's not fair. We don't know what's coming our way, and that's what Solomon is saying. Hey, good stuff happens, bad stuff happens, and, and you don't know what's coming your way. You just got to understand, life's not fair, right? I'll tell you two quick stories. I was walking Barney, our dog, late at night, 8 or 9 p.m. It was dark, and um, I found $50 on the ground. That's not a, you know, people used to say that to kill a, a bad story that you told. I literally found 50 bucks. I was like, oh, man, this is sweet. Um, I'm on the positive end on this one, baby. Somebody's on the negative end. I don't know who that was, but um, so one found 50 bucks. Um, another story contrasts that. We went to Silver Dollar City, Maddie and I, on vacation one year, and, and I already don't like these sort of parks, uh, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So we're there, we ride a ride, and a uh, phone flies out of the, the ride. Uh, luckily for me, it, it was a strong case, I have Find My iPhone, so you Android users, I don't know what you do, but I've got Find My iPhone, and so I'm on my wife's phone, and I go, well, my phone is right there. It was under the ride, and I go to the guys, hey, can I get my phone? No, we're in operation. Sure, I'll come after we close. I come back after they close. My, my phone's still there. Can I get it? No, we can't get it. All right, I come back the next morning. This is on my vacation. Come back the next morning. Hey, my phone is still there. Can I get it? I go, no. Next thing I know, driving to Kansas City, just watching my phone get further and further away uh, on finding my iPhone. I go, I'm, I'm on the negative end. And I'll tell you this, uh, that's not the first time a phone has flown out of my pocket on a ride. So I have written it all off. You know, I'm sorry, Franco, we're not going to ride no <laughs> roller coasters because uh, I'm on a pattern here of negative, uh, you know, unfair situations. But so the question is, okay, how do we respond to this? Like when we have negative or positive unfair situations. What's our response to this? So what I have here is, I just bought this the other day. It's the Westminster Larger Catechism, or Catechism, and then they have a larger and a shorter catechism. Um, And I bought this uh, because I wanted to teach some of the principles in here to Franco as he's growing up and internalize them myself. But if you're not familiar, um, a catechism is just simply a um, summary of our Christian principles and they're sort of formatted in question-answer format, um, and they call it the Westminster, because 1643, for about it was a 10-year period, a bunch of theologians got together and, and, and sort of wrote down this, this catechism, and, which is in uh, England, London area. But anyway, so this thing, what it does, it's, it goes, one of the questions is, 
Uh, what do scriptures principally teach us? Um, what is the word of God? And it has scriptures uh, to back it up, and it gives an answer, and then there's scriptures to read and to back up the answer. And so what I have found is that, and you've probably heard it, the answer to the first question in the catechism, I believe, is a sort of compass to guide our response when we have instances in life that are positive, that are negative. So I want to read this to you real quick. So the first question is this. What is the chief and highest end of man? What is, and if, if you do nothing else, what is the number one thing that we were created for? What is the number one thing that we are to do in this world? What is the chief and the highest end of man? It's a two-part answer. He says, or they said, man's chief and highest end is to one, glorify God, and two, fully to enjoy him forever, to fully enjoy God forever. And you go, oh, daddy, that's, that's not that profound. No, but it is. It is in the, in the sense that it's a fundamental groundwork for us. Hey, I won 50 bucks. God, how do I, how do I glorify you and enjoy you with this? Lord, I, I can't get my phone back. God, how does my attitude glorify you and enjoy you in this moment that's frustrating, that's that's, oh, I'm so angry, I'm so impatient right now. How do I glorify you, right? It sort, of, it sort of pumps the brakes for me to go, let me just ask this question real quick. Lord, how do I glorify you in this? How do I get to enjoy you in this situation, right? It sort of acts as a compass for us uh, as we're presented with it. So the last and four unconventional wisdom truth would be glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a more of a general principle, but I think it's good for us to internalize this. Um, I'm going to share this real quick, and then I'll get out of your way. We can go eat food and maybe some soup with this weather. I was at, I went to another church uh, last week. A nephew of mine was getting dedicated, and there was a verse that stood out at the very end, and it was Matthew 15, 8. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it said, uh, it hit home for me, man. It, was, it said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I go, man, I just, gosh, I feel like I honor you with my lips, but I just don't feel like we're connected, Lord, like my heart is there. And so here's what I want to leave us with, sort of a challenge. What do we do with these four unconventional wisdom truths? You know, understanding that our lives are more important how they end than how they began, our focus on forever, uh, changes that our actions in the temporary uh, that we need above, above all else, guard our heart, and ultimately glorify and uh, enjoy God forever. Listen, I, I want to lay a challenge. I'll invite the band to come up, and, um, and then we'll get out of your way. The, typically what I say is, hey, take some inventory of your life and see what God wants to do. But I want to lay sort of a different challenge. Uh, listen, I don't know what your personal devotional time with God looks like. Uh, I hope there's some sort of discipline. But if there's not, on the off chance that there's not, uh, I would say, hey, why don't we try this out? And maybe just a new place to start, just 15 minutes a day. You wake up on Monday, you go, I'm going to just wake up 15 minutes earlier. I'm just going to spend time praying through some of these four unconventional truths and go just, hey, God, listen, uh, I haven't met with you for a while. Um, and heard this, and God, would you uh, maybe just begin to allow your spirit to prompt me and help me understand what it means to internalize the reality that, hey, my life is a lot more important on how it ends than the stuff that I went through early as a child or 
or what I, how I grew up, and, and just go, all right, Lord, 15 minutes is up. I'll see you tomorrow, and maybe on Tuesday, you, another 15 minutes of, hey, God, how do, I, uh, how do I begin to think about forever? Because I want to build, I want to invest in my eternal life. Lord, would you uh, begin to impart to me what that looks like? And you go, all right, God, 15 minutes is up, so I'll see you tomorrow. So maybe start on Wednesday. And God, I, I just, I, I believe, and, and I, I believe in my heart of hearts that if we do this, if we spend maybe just 15 minutes a day asking these vulnerable and praying these vulnerable prayers to God, that we will begin to make, live lives where we make better choices and we live with fewer regrets. All right? Let me pray for us, um, and we'll, we'll finish up in some worship. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are... I'm grateful. I'm so thankful, honored, humbled by the opportunities that you give me. God, I just pray, Lord, that your spirit is speaking to hearts, even right now, Lord, and that it wouldn't end here, but that we, as we move into the week, God, that your Holy Spirit would move the hearts of people in this room to, to himself, Lord, and that, that your spirit would encounter them this week at some point in their lives. And Lord, I just pray that their hearts would be open for the work of your spirit to be done in their lives, Lord. It is in your son's name, the resurrected son, that we pray. Amen.